Thank you, Russ, very much. Well, last week, <coughs> Russ mentioned the Japanese art of kintsugi, which means golden repair. It's, it's the art of taking broken pottery and repairing it with golden material. And uh, so rather than discarding the broken piece of pottery or covering up the brokenness, Kintsugi incorporates that brokenness into the pottery such that it becomes a feature of the restoration, which is something that God does like no one else. Taking broken lives, which is, which is all of us, and rather than discarding us, he turns them into displays of his glory and his grace. He is the master of Kintsugi. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, knew this for himself. He wrote this in his first letter to Timothy. He said, uh, he said Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That was his verdict on himself. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe in him. Paul is saying, I was a mess, I was ruined, I was fallen away in sin, and God has done something in me such that I'm now on display. It's like there's golden marks all the way through Paul's life displaying the extraordinary restoring grace of Jesus Christ. I can think of a whole bunch of people in Citygate all of us, in fact, who are part of Citygate, who God has done such a work in. I can think of one person in particular <clears throat> right now whose, whose restoration in God from brokenness speaks so powerfully about what the grace of God can do in a life. We need the grace of God. He is the master at restoring the broken. And the point of Kintsugi, of course, is this. It's not to make us look amazing, look at our amazing golden strips, as it were, displayed on us, but that it points to Jesus. Now, sure, he does us a whole load of good, but all the glory and praise goes to him for his remarkable restoring work. So Paul, again in the New Testament, writes this to make exactly that point. He said, we have this treasure... Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, in jars of clay. That's all we are, fragile, broken, jars of clay. But there's a treasure in us to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So having said all of that, today we're starting a 10-part series studying Isaiah 61 because in it we see God's gracious promise to restore the broken. It's absolutely magnificent. I'm going to read through the whole of Isaiah 61 and then jump back up to verse 1. Here we are. It's an amazing part of Scripture. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your, your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will re reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness." As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Back to verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What an extraordinary passage of Scripture. Well, Isaiah spoke to God's people over a few decades, around 700 BC. And in his prophecies, he was doing a couple of things, really. One was that he was speaking from God against and about their current situation and behavior, which is summed up in chapter 1 by a few phrases. Take these, for example. How about God saying this to us? He said, they have rebelled against me. He calls them the sinful nation. And he says, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. God says, I hate your sacrifices. Stop getting together and pretending to praise me while there's such evil going on. It's absolutely damning. But God also, through Isaiah, was speaking about their future restoration. So there's a whole load of judgment uh, you know, I've just given examples of that. But it's sprinkled with hope that as you read through Isaiah, it's growing and growing and growing, this magnificent hope. So my summary would be this. Judgment is going to be devastating, Isaiah is saying, but the future will be glorious. And chapter 61, which we're going to look at, comes in the second part of Isaiah which focuses on amazing words of hope and promise. The hope is growing by that point, and it's all centered on this figure, the anointed servant Messiah. And next week, Andy's going to look at questions like from verse 1, who are the poor? What is the good news that's announced to them? But today's question is this, who is the anointed one? In Isaiah 61, verse 1. So, 
Who is this anointed one? Well, chapter 60, Isaiah has just been prophesying about the future blessings that God's people will enjoy. And chapter 61, crucially, now brings into focus the one who's going to deliver all those blessings. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And who this person is, this mysterious, amazing figure who's going to deliver all these blessings, who that is, is going to become clear as we work through three stages. Stage one, Isaiah's day. As with any part of the Bible... Isaiah 61 has to be understood first in its original context, around 700 BC. Isaiah is giving this extraordinary series of messages to God's people in captivity. There's hope, there's deliverance, there's favor, there's joy that God will bring. You might be taken away to be slaves and live in another place. You can't be in your own land, but God is going to do something extraordinary. There was an advert back in, I don't know, the 80s or the 90s. The future's bright, the future's orange. That was a, a communications company who had that as their line. They then... The company was called Orange, and if you only purchased their product, the future would be amazing. All these things would become possibilities. It's a little bit like that at the moment. This Corona coaster, that was a new phrase to me today, this Corona coaster, it's a bit like, well, don't worry, it's terrible, I know, you're all really struggling, you're all shut in and restricted, but don't worry, the vaccine's coming. And every now and again, we hear politicians and so on saying, don't worry, in time, this future is going to open up to you. Similar kind of idea. Well, Isaiah 61 is a vision of a glorious, liberated future for the people of God. But who is this anointed one? It's not Isaiah himself, but he's, interestingly, he's spoken before of one who will be specially anointed by the Spirit to act on behalf of God's people. He said things like this, chapter 11. He said this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. There's going to be one. He's going to come. He's going to deliver. The Spirit of the Lord is going to be on him. In chapter 42, he says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my Spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. There's a consistent message through Isaiah at various points. There's one's coming, and he's going to be full of and anointed by the Spirit. Well, Isaiah's words were partially realized in their return from exile to their own land years after Isaiah's prophecies. But when? When would this long-awaited king, messiah, servant come and deliver such wonderful blessings? And they waited for decades. And they waited for centuries. And he still hadn't come. One writer said this. He said, I used to live on a little island in Florida, which had a restaurant, outside which was a sign, free beer tomorrow. 
Maybe it will be. You turn up tomorrow, well, it still says tomorrow. And tomorrow, of course, never comes. When will this long-awaited Messiah come? Stage one, Isaiah's day. Stage two, Jesus. So centuries go by after Isaiah's words. And in Palestine, hope is rising. And then something astounding happens. Jesus went to Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I wonder if Jesus deliberately chose to read from Isaiah what's now called chapter 61, plus, in fact, a line from Isaiah 58. Or had God ordained it that that would be handed to him on that day? I don't know. Either way, what of all the things he could have read, he read this as like his manifesto statement at the start of his ministry. I wonder why, wonder why he didn't read Isaiah 52 to 53, the remarkable statements about the suffering servant who would deliver his people. But he didn't. He could have read about the Passover lamb that he had come to be. He could have read about David, the great king who he had come in the line of. No, it's as if Isaiah 61 was his declaration of intent. So hang on, you might have a question. Was Isaiah prophesying about his day or about Jesus? Well, both. Imagine a sunny day. Sunny day, you're walking around the corner of the house and you see a shadow. It's just the shadow of a tree. It's nothing particularly special. But you see the shadow of the tree. What does the shadow tell you? The shadow tells you that there is a tree, a real physical tree. The prophecy from Isaiah in his day to the exiles who would return and God would do a great thing with was like the shadow, the reality, the tree, the real thing that he was ultimately speaking about was Jesus. See, that's how Jesus understood the whole of the Old Testament scriptures and how he taught his disciples to understand it. Consistently, he would tell them, this is what was written about me. After his resurrection, particularly in Luke chapter 24, we have this amazing scene where two disciples, disconsolate because they think Jesus is still dead, are walking to Emmaus. Jesus, they don't recognize him, comes behind them and starts to talk to him about how the scriptures and all the law and the prophets were speaking and pointing to about him. It's how Jesus understood the whole of the Old Testament. It's not redundant for us Christians. 
it's absolutely magnificent. It's showing us our need of a Savior and what the Savior will be like. So Jesus reads the passage from the scroll of Isaiah and sits down. That's what they did. They would stand to read it and they'd sit down to speak. He sits down. I can imagine the pause. The tension in the room as they're wondering, what is he going to say? All the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him, fixed on him. What is he going to say? And then verse 21, he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's astonishing. After all these centuries of waiting and waiting, it's astonishing that today, here in little old Nazareth, out of the way nowhere, the local carpenter announces that the one Isaiah spoke about is finally here. The waiting is over. One day, someday is now today. The elusive hope of free beer tomorrow is free beer today. It's astonishing because of the enormity of what Isaiah 61 promises. Freedom for God's people who've been bound and subject to their enemies for so long. Comfort for those so broken-hearted and oppressed. Good news of restoration and joy. It's astonishing because Jesus is unequivocally saying, all of that, it's me. I not only have a message of good news to bring to you, I'm not only reading of Isaiah's prophecy, I am Isaiah's prophecy. It's all me. It's astonishing. And it's astonishing because Jesus is saying he's come for the nations, not just for the nation of Israel. That's why if you read on further in Luke chapter 4, he says that the prophet was sent to this person and the prophet was sent to that person back in centuries ago to other nations. And for that reason, they chase him out to the cliff over the town and try and get him off there to kill him. They can't bear the idea that this prophecy from Isaiah should have anything to do with other than our little nation. Jesus, it's astonishing. Here's this whole message of good news for the poor is for all nations. It's amazing and it's astonishing because the way he will deliver all these blessings, all this good news, turns out, as we know, to be through suffering and sacrifice. Stage one, Isaiah's day. Stage two, Jesus. Stage three, the church. You see, there's a third stage when reading Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. And it's the church. But before we carry on, let's just be careful about a couple of things. Let's be careful of rushing to this stage before we recognize that Jesus is the center and the point of it all. Let's be careful not to rush, as I've heard some people do, as if Isaiah 61, they read it or pray it as if Isaiah 61 was written to you directly. No, it's all about Jesus and everything that happens through him. 
And by moving from stage one to stage two to stage three, I don't for a moment mean that we've advanced Jesus' mission. As if there was Isaiah's day, as if Jesus did his bit, and now the church advances it. That's not the point at all. It really is all about Jesus. He alone is the good news. He himself is freedom and the full expression of God's favor. All the blessings of Isaiah 61 are found in Jesus himself. But the church is the agent extending Jesus' mission of proclaiming good news to the poor. That's what Jesus taught. That's what the early church understood. They weren't advancing, as it were, or taking over from Jesus' mission. They were advancing his mission because he was the one in whom all the blessings were found. So just as the one in Isaiah 61 is uniquely anointed by God, so his people are anointed for the mission. And just as the one in Isaiah 61 is uniquely sent by God, so his people are sent to continue and advance his mission. So John writes this. He records Jesus after his resurrection coming to the disciples and saying this. Have Isaiah 61 verse 1 in your mind as you hear this. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said to them, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Isaiah prophesies of this one who will be anointed and sent. Jesus comes as the one who is, is anointed and has been sent. And he breathes on his disciples and gives to them a commission. And he says, you are anointed and you are sent. The church carrying on and extending the mission as his agent Hence, we are called the body of Christ, carrying his mission, representing him in physical form on the earth. So Isaiah 61, let's wrap up. Isaiah 61 was a real, amazing word of hope to Israel in 700 BC. But Jesus is the reality of the shadow in Isaiah's day. And it's a real word to us the church, who live in the good of it and carry his mission, announcing good news to the poor. It's an outstanding message. It's an outstanding prophecy. It's an outstanding glimpse into this is our Savior. He is magnificent. Before the band lead us in a song to finish, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray for a fresh anointing. I'd like to pray that just as Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you like I was sent, and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, I'd like to pray for a fresh anointing and a fresh sending to represent Jesus as good news to the poor. And as I do so, I'd like you to think of this. Where will you be this week? Where will you be so that you can extend Kintsugi grace this week? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you send us with the mission of Jesus, with power. We thank you that you promise to be with us. We thank you, Jesus, 
that you breathe on us the power of the Spirit as you send us. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to grasp the enormity of who you are and help us to grasp that you have anointed us and sent us. And that wherever we find ourselves this week, whoever we find ourselves in contact with, we are those who are sent with good news to the poor. Jesus, you are an amazing saviour. We pray that you will rescue and save and restore many in the name of Jesus to point to your wonderful grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It's going to be an opportunity for you to receive prayer. There are some Zoom rooms that you can go in. We've got some trained people who will be very happy to pray for you. If you in any sense feel I'm in the need of restoration, it might be physical healing, it might be spiritual restoration. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. You're thinking, I need some of this. Maybe it's relational restoration, emotional restoration, whatever it happens to be. Maybe something that Russ said earlier connects with you. There should be a link in the chat. Please feel free to click on that and trust that God will restore the broken.